0: once upon a time, three hosts went on a search for tales of myth and legend, and today they share them with you. Welcome back to The Human Exception. This week, we decided to do something a little different and explore some folklore. Nathan will be taking you to a small town in British Columbia, Canada, that is thought to be cursed. And I'll be telling you all about the Yuki Ona, a Japanese snow spirit, while Hallie will be getting into the Irish tale of the Morrigan. As always, be prepared for foul language. Get cozy, it's story time. (laughs)
1: Everything delights
0: me today. <laughs> That's totally fine.
1: What <laughs> are those weird days? Uh-oh. Who's first? What's going on? Um, not me. I think it's you. Actually. <laughs> Is it me? Okay, great. A bunch or of a Irish words man. I can't pronounce. Um, I don't. I'm good well, with whatever. I'm
0: Japanese, doing. so <laughs>
1: I'll oh see fuck. You there. <laughs> great. <laughs> Uh um, I... wait n- <laughs> no actually <laughs> yes. I, think,
0: yeah, I think Nathan's going first. You're last. Oh
1: one. oh shit, son. But
0: before we get into that. <laughs> and hopefully this children running around upstairs is not gonna come through on the recording, but you know, probably will.
2: I'm trying to figure out a pronunciation right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so yeah, welcome back to the human exception. This is that thing we do sometimes. So uh Do
1: I guess how many downloads we have right now? Uh, I'm really bad at this. No, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Two hundred. We're at
0: two hundred and sixty-four downloads.
1: What the fuck? Yeah,
0: Yeah. and Ah. Friday was two days ago, right? Oh
1: god, yes.
0: We've had twenty-five downloads since Friday.
1: Hey, what up, y'all? Hey,
2: that's sweet.
0: Yeah.
1: What's going on? Howdy.
0: Ah, yeah, I guess like Chris's interview got us some attention. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that and you're sticking around.
1: <laughs> yeah, Kayla can't always swing a, a hot shot. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the time is us jokers. So, Hey, man. <laughs> Although... Have we mentioned what you and I are doing next month, Kayla? No, we haven't actually. Oh shit. Mm. Uh, do you want me to do it? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Okay. <laughs> You're the one. The normal. I am. This is this is fair. This is fair. I see what you did there. So. I run a charity group. We do charity streaming, mostly tabletop role-playing games. But we also have been dipping into some video games as well. So we run it over on Twitch. And I asked my fellow hosts if they would like to come on to Twitch to do a charity live version of Hex. Uh, Nathan has other things going on that weekend, rightfully so. So it'll just be me and Kayla, I fully expect. That will last about an hour. And then <laughs> we'll, we'll devolve into running our mouths about Dragon Age because I have pulled her into the thing that's been rotting my brain for the last, like, decade. The Cult of um, yeah Hello. <laughs> uh, so that will be, we'll mention it again, but that will be March 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern which is the time zone I'm in, so you may have to do some calculations there uh, depending on where you are in the world. But that will be on our Twitch channel that we have for the Terrible Party. Uh, So it's Terrible underscore Party on Twitch. And it'll be... uh, I'm sure we'll do some cross promo... contamination ...shenanigans. Yeah. All that
2: stuff.
1: Well, yeah,
0: we'll make sure that we uh, post links on the website and on our and stuff it. so you guys can find it
1: and I think we're going to do we're going to talk about food
0: we're going to talk about food
1: I have way too many options great. for that <laughs> so oh, it'll be good but yeah I'm excited that'll be a nice little put there's a whole podcast category on Twitch <laughs> oh is so. that new no, it's been there. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I Shows can not so use used that watch. one. <laughs> you showed your hand there, Kayla. You showed your hand. Oh, man, um,
0: I really know what I'm doing on a good day. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> I just get lost have in we... conspiracies.
1: <laughs> <laughs> have, we, have we bullshitted enough for you, Nathan, to figure some things out over there?
3: Yeah. <laughs> definitely.
1: Yep. <laughs> So today Uh we're going to be
0: sharing some myths slash fairy tales, I guess. Folk tales.
2: Old stories. Folklore.
1: There you go. And Nathan's going to be
0: starting us off.
2: Yeah. So I had a really hard time trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um... So, I was like, do I do something international? Do I do something that is, like, weird and... I don't know. Like, I just, I just oh didn't really God. figure it out. Everything is weird. Everything is weird. Uh, but, like, I just, I just couldn't really figure it out. And then I thought, oh, let's do something local. Um, so, I started looking around for... Like myths and legends and folklore here in British Columbia, and I came across uh, the Fernie curse. Now that's the what? Now <laughs> the Fernie curse. So Fernie is this little coal mining town in that's nestled in the Rocky Mountains in the Kootenay region. Uh, in eastern BC, uh, for those of you that don't know. Um, it is sort of, it's kind of on the border, or close to the border of BC and Alberta. So it's, you would pass through it if you were traveling uh, through the Kootenai Mountains to to Alberta, through the Rocky Mountains kind of thing. Um, now I will... Uh, I, Oh no, where did my pictures go? Uh, I was going to show <laughs> you guys some pictures of Fernie because it is a nice little...
1: I like pictures.
2: Mm-hmm. Here we go. A. Now, it is a very small, kind of touristy, uh, very, like, coal-mining-focused town. Um... However, Fernie itself does not house the the mining facilities. Just most people, it was built to be that home away from away from home. The a little ways out of Fernie, where the coal mine actually is, there's a sort of a workers' town called Coleridge, um, and that's where everyone stays. So. The valley that it is that it is in is called Elk Valley, and in the late eighteen hundreds, when the whole like coal mining boom was kind of happening in uh, in the area in the Rockies, uh, a group of uh, a group of prospectors ended up coming out and obviously looking for a place where they can mine coal. And as one does, they got in touch with uh, the local indigenous tribe, the Katanaha tribe. Now, the gentleman who founded Fernie, uh, William Fernie, was part of this group. And as they were having uh, whatever it was, their their first meetup, uh, dinner, so on... Fernie noticed that the chief's daughter was wearing this necklace of very smooth, very nice-looking dark rocks. And he was like, shit, that's coal. Maybe I can talk to the chief and figure out where they get it so we can start up our operations. So this is where where things get a little dicey because there are actually two stories uh, when it comes to this uh, actually there's three stories in regards to the curse however um, so I will tell you both of them uh, in regards to William Furney though there are two stories so the first story goes well I'm gonna talk to the the chief and I'm going to ask him where this coal is so that obviously we can dig and profit. So the chief says, yeah, totally. I will absolutely 100% tell you where this, uh, where this, uh, rock is under the condition that as a, uh, as a gesture, you marry my daughter. So, Fernie says, oh, uh, sure, okay, Uh, let's do that.
0: What what year is this, by the (laughs) way? I was just Uh, going to say.
2: Late 1800s. So, like
1: 1890, kind of thing. Okay.
2: Yep. Uh, So, they agree on this. And. Fernie decides that once he gets the information, he says, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not going to marry your daughter. Peace out. Bye. Classy. Yeah. So. In turn. The chief curses Fernie and the area. Uh telling him that he will be subject to fire, flood, and famine. Um, And that is sort of the end of the, the story of... or that particular story of the curse. Now, the story that the local tourism board for Fernie has is actually worse. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> so...
1: Uh, oh, boy!
2: <laughs> while at dinner, uh, Fernie realizes that again, the chief's daughter has a necklace of polished coal basically on her uh on her neck and is like, "You know what? Maybe I can seduce her and tell get her to tell me where this coal
3: is." Um. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm assuming we don't know her age.
2: We don't know her age. No.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh, mm. I'm already uh-huh. uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> I was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah,
3: and I, I don't.
2: Mm, <laughs> I, like, I don't. I don't know the age. Uh, those. There are no specifics.
3: Uh-huh. Um.
2: But in the end, it's, uh, he, oh God, where is it in my notes here? Uh... Right. Okay. So. Basically what happens is he seduces her. Figures out the the location of the coal. And then like just pieces out and leaves her in the middle of nowhere basically. What? Yeah.
3: Oh my god.
2: Um so he's like, "Hey, I us go for a
3: walk in the woods."
2: Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um and Yeah, it's not... Not great. Um, the... Again, uh, it would cause... Co- <clears throat> again, it would cause the chief to... Curse the valley as well as Fernie and anything he did from there on. Um, so... It... Eventually... Uh, Fernie was subject to some pretty shitty stuff uh, throughout the years. They had uh, a massive fire in the city, which displaced 6,000 people.
3: Jeez. Um,
2: They had a, uh, I believe they flooded. And then they also had a major explosion at the mine, which killed 128 people.
1: Well, now
2: <laughs> come on, you're right, yeah. So they're they're all I like, Oh, this is all I part of about- the curse, <laughs> the app, yes, 100. percent Oh my gosh, um, so yeah, a uh, couple of fires, some flooding. Uh, oh, so the fires were only four years apart, so 1904
3: and 1908,
2: oh, and then they had the flooding. And then it was one of Canada's largest mining disasters uh and that was in actually nineteen o two at that so <laughs> within with major three major disasters at least within uh six years of each other jeez uh I think it was five. I think they, they mentioned that all of this kind of happened mid-1900s. Or sorry, not mid-1900s, mid-1890s. So,
3: uh,
2: you know, curse? Not a curse? I don't know. Poor planning? Uh, <laughs> poor planning, probably. <clears throat> uh, so... The other tale of the curse is actually about a a Katanaha legend of a squirrel and his wife who controlled the entrances to the Elk Valley with their friends, the Raven and the Ram. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So what would happen is the raven and the ram, and the squirrel and his wife uh, would let any trails that came into Elk Valley overgrow and become impassable. So, anyone who entered the valley without permission, or just in general, were trapped and killed. Um, So, Obviously, no one was allowed safe passage through the valley. Uh, eventually, a uh, young uh, Katanaha youth, uh, I did, let's see, uh, their name was Yao Kakam, decided that they were going to uh, find their way into. Valley and so he managed to yeah okay he right uh he managed to trick his way past the ram and the squirrel oh sorry past the ram and he killed the squirrel um, no. mm-hmm uh he managed to get past the squirrel's wife and the raven um who obviously weren't uh weren't expecting any sort of issues within the valley. So he essentially said that, okay, well, anyone who uh, displayed such greed at keeping the the land blocked off from folks and people who might have needed it would meet the same end. And that is another story of how the curse came onto the
1: valley. I'm trying to like, they're so different. I'm (laughs) right. I think that's where I'm getting a little stuck. Like, wait, hold on. Won't marry daughter. Bad. <laughs> Steal coal. Bad. Squirrel. Also bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> this I'm is learning
3: just a Liz Liz
0: situation across apparently, the
2: board. Apparently, it's Greedy yeah. Squirrel.
1: Oh, Greedy so Squirrel. Gre-
2: yeah, so the idea was that, like, the squirrel and his wife and the two friends just allowed every entrance and everything into Elk Valley to be overgrown. And anyone who made their way in were trapped or killed because they didn't want to share the land.
0: The squirrel needed that coal mine all to
1: himself.
2: Right. (laughs) Right.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh
1: my gosh.
2: So, uh, interestingly enough, um, in 1908, There was a Fernie newspaper article that said, that was written that says, We've been requested to say that William Fernie denies the little after dinner stunt about him and the native maiden. We are glad Mr. Fernie does deny it for the future safety of our
1: city.
0: Oh my God. For the future safety (laughs) of of our city. For their
1: future safety.
2: Yeah.
0: If I, I get mean, out
1: ahead of this.
0: <laughs> also, city's a generous word. Yeah. City yeah. is a yeah. generous word.
2: Um so I have so many
0: questions about that.
2: i right yeah, it it's real weird. However, people seem to think that the uh the curse was real enough because on August fifteenth, nineteen sixty four, the city requested members of the Katnaha nation uh to come down and do a ceremonial lifting of the Ferny curse.
3: <laughs> oh
0: no. <laughs> do we like know what the relationship um between this tribe and this city <laughs> was like
2: I don't know.
1: If I had I... to guess probably not great.
0: Historically, that's historically historically
1: that's yeah. just like
2: all of all of Canada slash U.S. and Indigenous folks. Oh, like, any
0: place where yeah, Indigenous folks live.
2: Yeah, right. Um. <laughs> so the one of the, the last line, whether the curse raising was successful remains to be seen. However, Fernie <laughs> is now a prosperous and vibrant community. Having suffered few hardships since that day.
1: Maybe don't poke fate.
2: Great. Is, like, what, is on
1: the tourism site
0: with this story?
2: Oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, this is, I am reading that. I read that line directly off of the tourism site.
0: Oh, my God, man. Like, if this is. Wow.
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: Yeah. That...
1: That feels. Oh, don't do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't do it. Don't let. That feels like an intern wrote that. To right. Fuck with. The I town. love it.
2: <laughs> I love it. And like, there's there's some other really weird legends for Fernie. Um. So there's a mountain range called the uh, the Three Sisters.
3: Uh,
2: and this one's. Um, also, you can read this one either on the tourism website or, or elsewhere. But supposedly, um, there was a legend that the uh, that one of the younger Katanaha chiefs found great difficulty in choosing a bride. And apparently, their gods consider indecision a grievous sin. So, because he couldn't choose fast enough... He was turned into a mountain. Oh! <laughs> so <What>? every <laughs> yeah, so every day he would he would be able to look at what he could never have.
1: But he got turned into a mountain.
2: He got the turned into a mountain.
1: The to match
0: the crime, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: How
0: dare you be?
2: <laughs> However, go
1: be a mountain. <laughs>
2: Uh, the three women that he was supposed to choose between were uh, grieved for him and prayed that they might also be turned into mountains and their prayers were answered so now that is the the three sisters uh mountain range that is Better in get
1: turned into a A polycule with
2: their.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Poly mountains. Got
3: it. I love
1: this. I love this so much. (laughs) I love this so freaking much. It's like all of those, a lot of those, I won't say all, I shouldn't paint with such a broad brush. A lot of those stories are like, yes, you did a bad thing. Now go be a badger for the rest of your life. Yep. (laughs) You got turned into a fucking mountain. Well, that's life goals right there. I'd have been like, "I'm good." (laughs) I got to go out. Solid. Yep. Hmm.
2: (laughs) So that's it. Um, that's Fernie uh, and why it burned down twice and got flooded, and you know, (laughs) Jesus, my
1: God. I, I saw
2: that. this and I was like I I can't I can't pass this up.
1: That yeah, no, that's so no good. <laughs> oh my gosh.
3: <laughs> I'm stuck on the mountain thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want that. I want that. I want it. You wanna be I a man? Want it. Yeah, why not? Oh, okay. I used to say I want to be a cat, but what are they going to do to a mountain? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it, you could turn it to Mount fucking Everest, which is a topic we're going to have to talk about at some point. One day, <coughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point along the line, because, whoa. Um, y'all crazy. Because, global warming. Because, no. No. Um, <laughs> oh gives me the heebies. Um, I get distracted by my own document for a second. Um, mountain, though. Like, what are you going to do? You're a mountain. You're a fucking mountain.
2: <laughs> You're not going to go anywhere.
1: I'm fine with that. But I, nobody's going to do anything to you. Exactly. No I one think can that I would you. just
0: miss food. <laughs>
1: what do you need? You need food for. You're a mountain.
0: But food is delicious.
1: You're uh, when you're a mountain, you're above those earthly pleasures. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Both literally
1: and metaphorically. And every every now and then, you fuck with some some hikers. Drop a rock on them. <laughs> oh my god! Make
3: and them think it was moose.
2: <laughs> make them think it's moose. Every once in a <laughs> while, someone drills a hole in you so they can like make trains pass through.
1: That's where you also drop rocks on them. Because when you're a mountain, that's all you can do. Sit there and be admired and drop rocks on people. I'm thinking about this too much. Someone stop and, me. Someone and obviously, go.
2: Okay. And obviously wear corpses as your like, shirt.
1: Crown? You know, that's just accessories. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, this is has gone off track. Okay, who's next? Um, my turn.
0: All right. So um, I'm going to be <laughs> talking about Yukiyana, which is um, kind of a Japanese um, ghost spirit that kind of is prevalent in a lot of their stories. So before I get into this, I'm going to talk about Kaiden. So in Japan, there's a genre of story that's known as Kaiden has um, existed for as long as there has been Japanese literature. It's often confused for ghosts and horror stories, but this is not the case at all. Most Kaiden are not intended to be scary. In fact, many can be funny. But the most predominant theme is just strange, a telling about an odd thing that happened one time. The most literal literal translation being a discussing a discussion or passing down of tales of the weird, strange, or mysterious. <laughs> They have an entire genre of this, of weird stories. It's a laugh. So, yeah, um, Yuki Ana has been present in a lot of these stories over the last centuries. So, I'm going to be telling you a couple different stories about this spirit. In a village, sorry i'm holding a book i'm trying to read a reading a book and recording at the same time is hard
1: that's not yeah that's yeah that's where you need an extra set of hands
0: i need so many hands <laughs> all right um in a village of musashi province there lived two woodcutters Mosako and minokichi at the time of which i'm speaking mosaku was an old man and minokichi his apprentice was a lad of 18 years every day they went together to a forest situated about five miles from their village On the way to that forest, there is a wide river to cross, and there is a ferry boat. Several times, a bridge was built where the ferry is, but the bridge was each time carried away by a flood. No common bridge can resist the current there where the river rises. Mosako and Minokichi were on their way home, one very cold evening, when a great snowstorm overtook them. They reached the ferry, and they found that the boatman had gone away, leaving his boat on the other side of the river. It was no day for swimming, and the the woodcutters took shelter in the ferryman's hut, thinking themselves lucky to find any shelter at all. There was no brazier in the hut, nor any place in which to make a fire. It was only a 2 mat hut with a single door but no window. Mosako and Minokichi fastened the door and lay down to rest, with their straw raincoats over them. At first, they did not feel very cold, and they thought the storm would soon be over. The old man almost immediately fell asleep, but the boy Minokichi lay awake for a long time, listening to the awful wind and the continual slashing of snow against the door. The river was roaring, and the hut swayed and creaked just like junk at sea. It was a terrible storm, and the air was very, and the air was every moment becoming colder. And Minokichi shivered under his raincoat. But at last, in spite of the cold, he too fell asleep. He was awakened by a showering of snow in his face. The door of the hut had been forced open, and by the snowlight he saw a woman in the room, a woman all in white. She was, a ben- she was bending above Mosaku and blowing her breath ab- upon him, and her breath was like a bright white smoke. Almost in the same moment, she turned to Minokichi and stooped over him. He tried to cry out, but found that he could not utter any sound. The white woman bent down over him, lower and lower, until her face almost touched him. And he saw that she was very beautiful, though her eyes made him afraid. For a little time, she continued to look at him. Then she smiled and whispered, I intended to treat you like the other men, but I cannot help feeling some pity for you because you are so young and you are a pretty boy. Milokichi, I will not hurt you now, but if you ever tell anybody, even your own mother, about what you have seen this night, I shall know it and then I will kill you. Remember what I say. With these words, she turned from him and passed through the doorway Then he found himself able to move, and he sprang up and looked out, but the woman was nowhere to be seen, and the snow was driving ferociously into the hut. Miyokichi closed the door and secured it by fixing several billets of wood against it. He wondered if the wind had blown it open. He thought that he might have been dreaming and might have mistaken the gleam of the snow light in the doorway for the figure of the white woman, but he could not be sure. He called to Masako, and was frightened because the old man did not answer. He put out his hand in the d- in the dark and reached Musaku's face and found that it was ice. Musaku was stark and dead. By dawn, the storm was over, and when the ferryman returned to his station, a little after sunrise, he found Minokichi lying senseless beside the frozen body of Musaku. Minokichi was promptly cared for and soon came to himself, but he remained a long time ill from the effects of the cold of that terrible night. He had been greatly frightened also by the old man's death, but. He said nothing about his vision of the woman in white. As soon as he got well again, he returned to his calling, going alone every morning into the forest and coming back at nightfall with his bundles of wood, which his mother helped him sell. One evening, in the winter of the following year, as he was on his way home, he overtook a girl who happened to be traveling by the same road. She was a tall, slim girl, very good-looking, and she answered Minokichi's greeting in a voice as pleasant to the ear as the voice of a songbird. Then he walked beside her, and they began to talk. The girl said that her name was Oyuki that she had lately lost both of her parents and that she was going to Yiro where she happened to have some poor relations who might be able to help her find a situation as a servant. Minokichi soon felt charmed by this strange girl and the more that he looked at her, the handsomer she appeared to be. He asked her whether whether or not she was betrothed and she answered laughingly that she was free. Then in turn, she asked Minokichi whether he was married or pledged to marry, and he told her that although he had only a widowed mother to support, the question of an honorable daughter-in-law had not yet been considered, as he was very young. After these confidences, they walked alone for a long time while without speaking, but as the proverb declares, when the wish is there, the eyes can say as much as the mouth. By the time they reach the village, they come very pleased with each other, and then Minokichi asked Yuki to rest a while at his house. After some shy hesitation, she went with him, and his mother made her welcome and prepared a warm meal for her. Oh, Yuki behaved so nicely that Minokichi's mother took a sudden fancy to her and persuaded her to delay her journey to Hirido. And, and the natural end of the matter was that Yuki never went to Yudo at all. She remained in the house as an honorable daughter-in-law. Oh, Yuki proved to be a very good daughter-in-law. When Minokichi's mother came to die some five, five years later, her last words were affectionate praise for the wife of her son and Oyuki bore Minokichi ten children, boys and girls, handsome children, all of them, and very fair skin. The country folk thought Oyuki was a wonderful person, by nature different from themselves. Most of the peasant women age early, but Oyuki, even after having become the mother of ten children, looked as young and fresh as the day that she had when she first came to the village. One night after the children had gone to sleep, Oyuki was sewing by the light of the paper lamp, and Minokichi watching her, and said, To see you sewing there with the light on your face makes me think of a strange thing that happened when I was a lad of eighteen. I then saw somebody as beautiful and white as you are now. Indeed, she was very like you. Without lifting her eyes from her work, Oyuki responded, Tell me about her. Where did you see her? Then Minokichi told her about the terrible night in the ferryman's hut, and about the white woman that had stooped over him, smiling and whispering, and about the silent death of old Masako. And he said, Asleep or awake... That was the only time that I saw being as beautiful as you. Of course, she was not a human being, and I was afraid of her, very much afraid. But she was so white. Indeed, I've never been i have never been sure whether or not it was a dream that I saw, or the woman of the snow. Yuki flung down her sewing and rose and bowed above Minokichi where he sat and shrieked into his face, "It was I, Yuki! It was I!" I told you that I would kill you if you ever said one word about it. But for those children that sleep here, I would kill you in this moment. And now you had better take a very, very good care of them. For if you ever leave me any reason to complain for you, I will treat you as you deserve. Even as she screamed, her voice became thin like a crying of wind. And then she melted into a bright white mist that spired to the roof beams and shuddered away through the smoke hole. Never again was she seen. Dude,
1: you made your ghost wife mad. Don't do it.
0: Just don't do it, man. Don't do it. So, yeah, Yukiona is one of Japan's most well-known, yet also unknown, yokai, which is um, a word they use for spirit. Um, There is no single story of Yukiona there. She's like from dread snow vampire of the mountains to loving bride and mother. She has played many roles over the centuries, and she has worn many costumes. She is ephemeral as windblown mist or snow and is impossible to hold. Um, She's often described as a tall, beautiful woman with long black hair and blue lips. She's inhumanly pale or even transparent skin that makes her blend into the snowy landscapes. She often wears a white kimono, but in other legends, she appears naked with only her face and hair standing out against the snow. Despite her inhuman beauty, her eyes can strike terror into mortals, and she floats across the snow, leaving no footprints. In some stories, she doesn't even have feet, and she could transform into a cloud of mist or snow if threatened. And I got some good old classic art for you.
1: Yeah. Oh.
2: Okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. This now is starting to.
2: Make it
0: click. Resonate. Yeah. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Yukiona is only one of her names. Anywhere that there is ice and snow in Japan, you will find legends about Yukina, but they're often called by some regional variation. And here's a list of different names as they're translated. So, Snow Nursing Mother, Snow Daughter, Snow Young Woman, Snow Older Sister, Snow Wife, and Snow Hooker.
2: Snow Hooker.
1: Let's <laughs> not expecting the last one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, yeah, almost all the
0: tales of this female snow monster are told as Yukihonu stories. Um, While well, she's thought to be agent le- legend, the first written account of this creature comes from Miromachi period, which is between 1300 and 1500. A monk wrote about his travels in the Ichigo province, which would be modern-day Nagata, and his encounter with the Yukiona. Soji writes that he went out of his house one snowy morning and saw a beautiful and unusual woman standing in, the, in his frozen garden. She was huge, almost 10 feet tall, with skin whiter than any human being. Although her face was young and beautiful, her hair was stark white and hung loosely about her shoulders. Her komodo was white to the point of being translucent and made of some magical gossamer fabric that clung to her body. Soji attempted to speak to her, but she vanished into the snow. Discussing the vision later with a a friend in the region, Soji was told that the spirit of snow who normally appeared during heavy snowfall. It was rare for her to appear on the cusp of spring.
1: Ten feet tall. Ten feet tall. Yeah, I, I think I, would, I wouldn't would stop to talk. I'd go the <laughs> other way. Yep. Dude, you see that ten foot tall woman out there? Holy shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Here are another couple shorter counts. So, from the Tatori Prefecture, the Yuki Ono travels on the wind and appears on days with light snowfall. She walks through the town, swinging a white go wand and shouting, Please give me water, hot or cold, to anyone that she meets. If you give the Yokyono cold water, she swells in sighs. If you give her hot water, she melts and disappears. Oh. hmm But the lore is not consistent about this <laughs> creature, that's for sure. I gotcha. <laughs> um, from the Yamagata Prefecture, the Yokyono was once a princess of the lunar world and lived on the moon. Her life was full of luxury and indulgence and extremely boring. She became fascinated looking at the world below, so she snuck out one night and came down to Earth, traveling on the snow. However, coming down was easier than going back up, and she became stuck on the Earth. On snowy nights of the full moon, she appears, pining for her old home. See, Sailor Moon.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) From the Amori, Niigata, and Miyagi prefectures, the yuki is a terrible yokai that haunts snowy forests looking to feed. She lives by sucking Psyche, which is vital energy of the human body. She extracts Psyche by first freezing her victims to death and then sucking their souls out through their mouths. This type of yuki in particular is nasty Nagata, where it is said that she particularly prefers the Psyche of children.
1: Well, that got dark. Uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whoa. <laughs>
0: Um, from Ibaraki, Fukushima, and Akita uh, prefectures, the Yukiona has a particular trait that she needs to engage her victims in conversation in order to, talk, to, to, to attack. When she meets someone on a dark and snowy night, she will call out to them. If the person answers her greeting, she attacks. Unless you are from Fukushima or the Ibaraki prefecture, in those cases, that Yukiona only attacks to those who ignore her, and her method of killing is specific. Anyone who ignores her, she grabs and throws into a nearby ravine.
1: I know, wait. I'm getting some mixed messages here. I need some <laughs> clarification. <laughs> that would just be so confusing. You're just like, no, wait, answer her. No, don't answer her. You know what?
0: <laughs> it's the whole, like, black bear, brown bear things. What do I yeah. do again? <laughs>
1: What
0: am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> um, and Some accounts say that Yuki Ona is not a spirit of snow, but the ghost of a woman seeking revenge. This mainly comes from Chikamatsu Monzimen's bunraku ban- pu- puppet play, Yuki Ona Gomai Hokayato. The Five Battle Doors of the Yuki Onna. In Chikamatsu's play, the Yuki Onna is the bo- ghost of a woman who was deceived, led into a forest, and murdered. She manifests as, y- as the Yuki Onna in order to get her revenge. That's a puppet play <laughs> that they put on.
1: Oh, that's some punchy yeah. shit. Wow.
0: All
2: right. Okay.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, another story here. Uh, walking along a forest path at night in the dead of winter, you come upon a poor young mother. She is dressed in only a thin white kimono and desperately clutches her newborn baby to her chest. Seeing you, her face lights up with hope and she holds out her baby to you, begging for your help. But you must harden your heart and walk away from this tragic scene. For if you take the offered baby, you'll be frozen to the spot, trapped, a fresh meal for the Yuki and their terrible little offspring, the Yuki
3: If
0: the man refuses to hold the child, the consequences are equally deadly. So the Yukiomba pounds the man in the head in rage and drives them into the snow like a hammer hitting a nail. Either way, the man becomes a feast for the Yuki and her demon child. Holy shit. One clever warrior got the better of Yuki Ambo, though. He accepted, the, he accepted the offered child, and he took his short sword and held it between his teeth. And as he held the child, he p- pulled his head closer to its dagger. Finally, the sword was a hair's breadth from slicing the child, and the trembling mother asked for the man to return her child. The warrior returned the child to his frozen mother, who wept with joy. Yuki Ambo was so grateful that she showered the warrior with gold and gifted him supernatural strength.
1: To, you're not right. supposed to show your weakness. You're not supposed yes. to show your <laughs> just <weakness>. like theirs. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, some researchers have said that Yukihana may actually existed in the form of mental illness. The intense cold of winter combined with suffocating fever could lead people to stumble outside dressed in only light summer kimonos. People who stumble upon these hapless wanderers invented stories, and over time, these stories became legend.
1: Isn't that what happens when you get hypothermia? Yep, start to hallucinate. Like- start hallucinating yeah. and you like take all your clothes off yeah yeah all right and then one
0: final story it comes from miyagi prefecture a group of samurai were on duty guarding the borders of their lord's town they camped in the forest and huddled around a fire at night to keep warm as they sat around the fire they swapped tales. one samurai said that these woods were terrorized by yuki Umba and that she had been seen recently his companions laughed and chided him for believing in children's stories Eventually, one of the warriors excused himself and headed into the dark forest to relieve himself. As he went further into the forest, he saw a dim outline of a beautiful woman clutching a tiny baby. He approached cautiously and saw that she was crying. The woman asked the samurai to please hold her small child and protect him from the cold. The samurai was moved to sympathy by the scene. It took the baby in his arms, and to his surprise, it was colder than the snow around him and stuck fast to his arms. He could not put it down. The child also grew immensely heavy, and the warrior fell to his knees under its weight. The last thing he saw on earth was the woman's tears fading and a broad smile growing across her face. The next morning, his companion, companions found him frozen solid, clutching a giant icicle. After other encounters with the deadly Yukiomba, yuki the samurai were determined to rid the town of her and set off hunting into the forest. One warrior came across a tiny child running freely in the snow. The man was shocked, as the child was so small, he came up only halfway to his knees. And as he chased after the child, something incredible happened. With each step, the child seemed to grow larger and larger, and soon he was past the warrior's waist, and then his shoulders, and then as tall as the warrior himself. And suddenly the boy turned around and grinned at his pursuer, and he kept growing, right before the warrior's eyes. He grew to the size of a house. Stealing his nerves, the warrior drew his sword and charged at the gigantic baby, slashing with all his might. Much to his surprise, the baby shattered into a million shards with a single blow, like a hollow ice sculpture, and there was nothing left. And for whatever reason, the Yuka Omba and her child were never seen in that forest again. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: the giant icicle is a good touch. Yep just thinking about that like <laughs> oh that's really messed up yes <laughs> yeah that no, was really cool like i, I got this folktale
0: book from tales of japan just as part of our research for our witch episode that we're gonna do one day um there is not it turns out there's not many witches in this book <laughs> but there are some cool stories
1: <laughs> you got good use out of it no matter
0: what right So the Mm -hmm. book is Tales of Japan, Traditional Stories of Monsters and Magic. You can get it on Amazon. Um, A lot of the other tales I talked about, though, um, come from like Wikipedia or other online sources. Many of these fairy tales have come into, uh, what's that thing where they're no longer copyrighted? Public domain. That's the word. Yeah, a lot of them are public domain now. So yeah, go look at them online. They're great. There's this this guy that, um, I can't remember his name right now. Um, but he runs a whole website where he's been, his wife is Japanese, and uh, he's a white guy, lives in Japan, and he's uh, a trained, like, trained in Japanese and English writing. Um, he translates all these old stories that he's finding. He's trying to collect all these folk tales and put them together, and he's got a website and a couple books he's released. Which, yeah, it's super cool. And since he's got a lot of historical knowledge, he's able to talk about the context of the stories and also be able to translate it into, you know, to make it understandable to uh, North American cultures and stuff as well. So,
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. cool.
0: I can't remember what his name is or what his website is right now, but I will put it in the show notes.
1: There we go. Ew.
2: So before, yeah. before we move on... <laughs> I uh I have one, one thing to to fix. Um, oh. the the second story where William Fernie deserted the girl, it was her mother that invoked oh. the curse because she uh, was pissed off that fair. this dude like ditched his ditched her daughter.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's, what if yep.
2: both are true
1: what yeah <laughs> yep. but what if both but what if both <laughs> what if both <laughs> good self-correct nathan yep. well done you took me off guard there for a second i was like oh god what's <laughs> happening what's, <laughs> what's going on
0: that, that reminds me of, i keep a File in our OneNote for like whenever whenever we do an episode, a new episode of things that I need to bring up, and I haven't looked at the one.
3: Oh,
1: okay,
0: no, it was originally broke two hundred,
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, now we're two sixty four.
1: Never mind. Well, hello, that's great. I like thanks, it. internet. Yeah, yeah, internet. Good job.
2: Good job.
1: <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Oh my god. All right, Hallie, you ready? Yeah, let's do this. So, because I had already talked about ancient Egypt that I was obsessed with as a child, and we had talked about cats in Egypt and Bastet and all that fun stuff, um, I thought I would pick the other uh, being, we'll say, from folklore that I was obsessed with as a kid. I spent a lot of time at the public library with no supervision. <laughs> Oh,
0: my God. Who would let the child do that?
1: <laughs> I spent way too much time there just in the corner, like not bothering anyone. Um, too scared to talk to anyone, including the librarians. <laughs> That's, which is ironic, given what I did as a grown up. So, you know, um, it was the the more again. And I remember very specifically reading a book of Irish folktales, which are really brutal. Just really outright They're fucking so brutal as shit. They're so good, but damn. Uh, <laughs> so I thought we would I would uh, revisit that that little bit of things that I was probably way too young to read or understand um, <laughs> as an eight or nine year old. Uh, I feel like that was the case with me in general. <laughs> so, I had to go back and 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 go through uh, what I remembered versus what the research uh, depicts about the Morrigan. Um, she is a figure from Irish mythology. Um, it's it, it translated in modern Irish. It means great queen or phantom queen. Um, there have been a ton. One of interpretations of her artistically. And I will give you all some of those pictures. Um, I can only really share them with you because, you know, they're artistic representations that are largely not in the public domain, but you can go to Wikipedia and see some of the artwork that's been plucked from uh, like 7th and 8th and 9th century literature, which is really interesting.
0: Should we probably even tie this back to Dragon Age as inspiration for Morgan? <laughs>
1: It's funny because we're going to get there. Okay, well, i get ahead of myself. Because (laughs) I had to laugh as I was reading through one of her main kind of, um, uh, what's the word that I want? Like creation myth kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, How she kind of got her start. Uh, Yeah, they exactly ripped (laughs) Ripped (laughs) that right from there. I was like, holy shit. Uh, so, here is some of the early, the earlier, I'll say, artwork um, that you can find. This is one artist's reinterpretation of it, of like an old lithograph of the Morrigan. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, you, you'll see a theme here <laughs> with her standing on fields of bodies. Because she's <laughs> mostly associated with war and fate, she was originally meant to foretell doom, death, or victory in battle, and in that role, she often appears as a crow. Huh. So, I, yeah, so that's where a lot of that <laughs> comes from. Um, she cites warriors to battle. And she can also bring about victory over their enemies because she encourages warriors to do brave, like, just giant heroic deeds. Things that would strike fear into enemies. And she was often portrayed early on as washing the bloodstained clothes of those fated to die. So, yeah. Brutal! <laughs> um, so, it- in combination with the crow symbology, she's also also often portrayed as a goddess of battle and war. And she's also seen as a manifestation of an earth and serenity goddess, which means that she would be representing a role as guardian to a territory and its people as well. So that's her in like one main form. She's a busy lady. She's busy because then there's also a trio of individuals. I had to laugh when Nathan said three sisters because they are depicted <laughs> as three sisters. <laughs> so in the triad, the most common iteration of it is the uh, the babe, which is the crow, uh, matcha, and then uh, nevane. Or sometimes it's babe, matcha, and a nod, uh, which is just another name for the morrigan. It all starts to get kind of... Twisted together, and like all good folk tales, even what Kayla was just talking about, there are different points of origin for different stories where they all start to get kind of rooted around each other.
0: It's just like a couple centuries of a game of telephone,
1: yep, yep, basically, mm-hmm. and all all oral tradition until and bad cell
0: service down.
1: yep, <laughs> yep, just talking through tin cans and string, baby um so. <laughs> In some tales, she's also described as the envious wife of the Dagda, and she was considered to be a shapeshifter. I know Kayla's huh. Dragon Age radar's going off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was also in this form associated to uh, be the predecessor of the Banshee.
3: Oh, which I did
1: not know. Yes, that was new information to me. I knew about the triad, and I I had to go and look up the Irish pronunciation. I'm sure I butchered, so please don't send me emails. Um, <laughs> I don't speak or to do.
0: It. We just or, I not let her know <laughs> that you did. Please don't.
1: Please don't. But I, it would be
0: I, nice to know if people are
1: listening. <laughs> I I did look it up. I swear, I did look it up. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay, um, I'm
0: sure I butchered like the 30 Japanese words I had to say.
1: You know, we're trying. Um, I did find it interesting that there were a lot of medieval Irish writers who kind of reinterpreted her in a more heinous form because they eventually wrote about her as an archetypical figure in her relation to spirits, which we also see with the whole Banshee thing. Um, she was seen as a, a form of malevolent female spirit, or maybe even their mother, mm-hmm. from which all malevolent female spirits that <laughs> are birthed and also monsters. Hot. So that's hot. Yeah. Uh, those, uh, those writers were referring to uh, that term uh, Marigna to describe beings as diverse as anywhere between the Middle Eastern Lamia to the demon goddess Lilith. That makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So that's where the Phantom Queen title came from. Mm. Okay. Yes. So we're going to go all the way back to her earliest narrative appearances where she's depicted as an individual. And these are stories in what's known as the Ulster Cycle. Uh, she has an ambiguous relationship with a hero named Kuh- uh, Um And in this one story, which is translated as the cattle raid of uh, Regimane, he encounters the Morrigan, but doesn't recognize her. And she is busy driving a heifer from his territory. She's like, this is my cow now. I don't care who it belongs to. And then when this guy takes it as a challenge and he doesn't realize who's taking his cow. He gets mad and starts insulting her. Which sounds like a great idea. So. That Just like, nope, don't talk to 10-foot-tall ladies in the street. <laughs> maybe <laughs> don't insult this random lady taking your cow. Because then maybe she'll turn into a a raven and sit on a tree branch. And then you realize, oh shit, that's the morgan. And now I need to go like bow and <laughs> scrape and not be such an asshole. I, obviously, I'm paraphrasing. No, I'm reading. No, I'm paraphrasing. um And she basically says, "Well, doesn't really matter because as soon as I appeared in your territory and you thought ill of me, you now have bad luck." Wow, that's a uh, vengeful. It's worse. Hold on, because then he says, "No, you can't hurt me. You would never hurt me. I am a great hero." And she delivers with she delivers a set of warnings. And these foretell a battle in which he will be killed. And she tells him, and I quote, it is at the guarding of thy death that I am, and I shall be. Hmm. (laughs) Whoops. So these stories, this whole Ulster cycle stories, they're set in and around the reign of Lord or King Conobar. Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you remember Morgan's story about that? Yes, yes. Uh, he rules the Ulaid, uh, and the most prominent hero of this cycle is Conobar's nephew, this guy, this Kukulan, who decided it would be a good idea to uh, insult the goddess of war and death. <laughs> So the stories are written in Old and Middle Irish. They're mostly in prose. There's occasional verse passages as well. Uh, There are preservations of these manuscripts. Um, They range from the 12th to the 15th century. But in cases, a lot of the stories are a lot older than that. And the language, there's been a ton of study on the language in these stories. It's datable all the way back to the 7th century. And the tone, as you might imagine, is violent, terse, sometimes comic, sometimes roughly realistic. And then there's just a lady who's a big crow. (laughs) (laughs) But Kukulon also has superhuman fighting skills. He is of semi-divine ancestry. Probably why he said, no, you can't kill me as it turns out she does so you know maybe don't insult the morgan it's probably a good lesson to learn uh there's also later much 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 later on past the ulster cycle uh there was a a new and i guess newer we'll say interpretation of the morgan that had a massive Influence in establishing the interpretation of her being linked with war and fate instead of war and battle and death. So it it changes a bit. And it was W. M. Hennessy's The Ancient Irish, Irish Goddess of War, written in 1870. Um, it also talks about how she's said to derive pleasure from jumping bodies. Mm-hmm. What kind of bodies? (laughs) She takes on hosts. She steals bodies of young women. Yep. (laughs) All right. This is uh, (laughs) looking familiar. I know the story. (laughs) It's sounding very, very familiar. Um, She has premonitions of a particular violent deaths for warriors. And then that also suggests a link back with the Banshees of later folklore. its her role is moved away from imminent death and more to the influence and the fate of the outcome of war it's really interesting um she also often does this by appearing as a crow flying overhead and it would either inspire fear or courage in the hearts of warriors and foretell uh, eventual ruination so that would be interpretations like this which are really cool that's awesome freaking, freaking love that
3: Oh gosh I like that.
1: Yeah, it's really good right <laughs> here is the morgan visiting a downed warrior just before his death lending comfort and then there's this one with the triad also, freaking love that, and how she oh, wow. you know just takes heads. It it's like holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. So, there are actually uh, very few accounts of where she would join in battle itself as a warrior, and if she did this, that would mean that you had her divine favor.
3: So, mm. I
1: know. Very interesting. Um, She also liked to focus on individuals or uh, groupings of soldiers if she found them to be particularly brave or heroic. So, there's a really interesting actual mound site in County Tipperary that's known as the Cooking Pit of the Morrigan. Um, You can find these sites around Ireland, and they're usually associated, like, archaeologically with the hunting of deer, But there are stories that link the Morrigan to these places, Uh, particularly one story about three mythical hags who cook a meal of dog flesh that brings the hero Kukulon to his doom. Hmm. Maybe don't eat what hags offer you. There's a pair of hills in County Meath. I think it's Meath. Yeah in county meath that's known again english uh interpretation of this it's known as the two breasts of the morrigan (laughs) yep yeah yeah tits whatever um (laughs) and there are two other ones uh that have similar hills uh that are considered to uh, have solar attributes where they would do sun ceremonies Interesting. There's we start to like this is where you start to see all of the the stories kind of lose their thread, <laughs> which I also appreciate. Um there have been some really solid, I will say, attempts by modern researchers and authors to link the Morgan to the character of Morgan or Morgana in the Arthurian legend. They're not linked. Okay, that was going to be my, like my next yeah. question. Yeah. They're not. They've tried. It's not, it's just not enough. Now, Morgana may have been inspired by really old tales of the Morrigan, but that's about where scholars think the actual relationship ends. Um, there have been scholars that have held that the names are unrelated. The Welsh Morgan or Morgana uh, is derived from root words that are associated with the sea, where the Irish Morgan has roots either in a word for terror or... Or a word for greatness. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you're going to have a dual <laughs> dual personality, yeah. one side's terror, the other side's greatness. Let's just get on with it, right? Um, and that actually links to her symbology because she's known for her strengths. And those include her ability to instill fear in those who have crossed her. Again, Kukulon, don't do that. Uh, But she's also known for her weaknesses and was described as highly vindictive. Again, (laughs) wasn't afraid to kill if she felt disrespected. And she was forever linked to the Festival of Samhain and is usually symbolically represented by the crow or the raven. She's also, this is what I really found interesting. She's also sometimes associated with horse symbolism. Oh. And has been in some stories and studies linked to Eponia, the equine goddess.
0: Oh then like related to Mary Lloyd.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's all connected. I know. I was like, "Oh, here we go." <laughs> so, and there, there's a ton of history on on the Morgan. There way more. There are whole books. There are whole books written about her. Um, here's a couple more artist's interpretations. I freaking love this. This is a statue of polymer clay. Oh, that's amazing. I that's want it. Cool. I want it. And then um, more modern uh, interpretations. So um, there are, speaking of modern Interpretations of the Morgan. Um, she has shown up a ton in pop culture. We're joking about the whole Dragon Age thing. They literally ripped the story out of Irish folklore. <laughs> yeah. Almost <for> her <laughs> in, in Plymouth. Yeah. <laughs> but there's band names, songs, a ton of other media. She shows up in video games, comics, all kinds of things. Um, there are actual worshipers of the goddess in the modern day, which I thought was really interesting. So there's a pagan polytheist priesthood that's dedicated to her it was founded in 2012 and it is based out of san francisco what (laughs) yeah i know of all places uh but they also travel around the world to bring their um spiritual and religious support to individuals and they um promote Celtic spirituality and polytheist religious practice. They also aid the communities in which they're based by organizing things like blood drives and fundraising and medical and spiritual response teams for civil rights and social justice actions. So you can. They yeah, I know. Right. Um, if you it'll be in the show notes, but if you go to korupriesthood.com, you can see the. Uh, all their information, so I am actually taking things directly from their website because I didn't want to mess up what they were talking about. I'm going to send you to the photo gallery link because they have some really cool photos.
3: Ooh.
1: They've traveled a bunch to Ireland, um, at Wales. They have pictures of all their trips. They were had. They went to the Pantheacon gathering for life on Earth in 2016, which was in Vancouver.
2: That's really fucking cool. I didn't even There's know that was a thing.
1: Shit. Yeah. There's some cool, cool shit on here. So I highly encourage everyone to go and check out their website. Um, they're really focused on, uh, and I'm quoting here directly from their website. We believe it's our duty to actively work toward greater inclusivity within our communities. So they have a big list of their practices and commitments, um, affirming beliefs that uh, Celtic polytheism has to be an inclusive tradition uh, and that everyone has the inherent right to seek, study, and honor the the gods regardless of ancestry or any other personal quality. And their very first one is, we respect and welcome all persons of color or persons regardless of color, ethnicity, age, ability, religion, size, class, perceived, or actual sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression.
0: Mm. And that was really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep.
1: They ha- also have some really neat um, spirituality resources that I read through. A lot of them have like old Irish in them. So I wasn't going to, you know, completely fumble my way through pronunciation. So I thought instead I would end on a prayer to the Morrigan that was written by Rin Fox, one of their head priests for this Koru priesthood. Um, it's very short, so I will just read it. And thankfully, I hopefully won't stumble. (laughs) Uh, It starts, Great Queen the Morrigan, hear me, I am your priest and your warrior. Protect me from harm, may it be by intent or by ignorance. In the face of life's trials and joys, may I be ever steady. Calm in mind, body, and emotion. May I be centered, present, embodied. My mind like water, clinging to no thing and untroubled. May I act decisively, truth and wisdom as my guideposts. May my actions and words move from a place of honor, wisdom, compassion, and love. May I know when to cut and when to be cut. Clothe me in guile and cunning that I may move with suppleness and resiliency between the worlds. That's cool. It's pretty cool.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, definitely go check them out. They have some really cool stuff. Um, but I just, I, I'm i so glad I picked this, because now I feel like I have done childhood me a better service. <laughs> 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 My fascination.
0: <laughs> like, I feel like I've seen the pop culture reference so many times, so it's g- cool to finally like, know where it all comes from.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and it also reminded me a little bit of, like, the Valkyries.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There's a thread there too. Um, and you're talking around the same time. So who knows what influence they had on each other.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were if there right. some growth
3: over there. Cool. Woo woo. 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 Did the thing. Yay. <laughs> that's
1: another episode yes that has to be the shortest one
0: and that's it for this week's episode next week we're diving into the world of medicine Holly will be tackling world famous cure i will tell you about a pandemic with global reaches from 2005 that you may have never heard of and nathan will explore the myth and science behind sleep paralysis as always if you want more information about the topics that we've covered links images sources check out thehumanexception.com. To keep up to date with everything hacks. follow us on Facebook or Twitter at TheHumanException. And if you want to tell us that we're wrong, suggest a story, or just to say hi, you can email us at thehumanexception at gmail.com or hit up one of our social accounts. And if you'd like to do us a huge favor, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us a lot. We hope that you have a wonderful weekend and keep being exceptional, my humans.
2: Hey, they both joined this time.
0: It's like Christmas miracle.
2: It, yeah, it's so something.
0: <laughs> um, not Craig's
1: icon is Jeff. By the way, I didn't even guess it is. <laughs> I'm very excited That's about great. that. Aw, yep, so good. Oh, buddy, not yeah. Craig, not Craig. <laughs>
0: Craig. <laughs> <laughs> there was no brazier in the hut hut there was no brazier in the hut how do you say that word brazier is it brazier okay i was like i said brazier
1: yeah <laughs> like one means one thing another means yeah anyways
0: there was no brazier in the hut i can't fucking say this word. <laughs> <laughs> brazier brazier, brazier?
3: Mm-hmm. Say it again. Sure. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs>